Welcome to today's episode of Social Media Moneymakers. My name is Brock Johnson. I will be your host today. And our guest on today's podcast is me because I was supposed to interview a couple other people this week, but uh, for whatever reason, a couple people had to unfortunately change their plans. And so we called an audible, shout out to the Super Bowl, no pun intended, uh, where I asked you as a member of my audience to send me audio questions that then I would answer. So essentially, you are interviewing me on today's episode of Social Media Moneymakers. I put up a story calling for your help, calling for your assistance, and I was so shocked, so surprised, and so honestly grateful uh, for the overwhelming amount, just the quantity of questions I received. I really wasn't sure because it was asking a lot of people to not just send me a DM or ask me a question, but to send me an audio message question. It was a big ask and I recognize that. So I want to start by saying thank you so much to everyone who submitted a question for the podcast. Um, I had too many to choose from. I had so many great ones. I had great ones that I planned on answering in the show, uh, but as you'll hear, we just kind of ran out of time. But the questions that I did answer today are going to be very valuable, very educational for you. We talked about things like how do I stay consistent? We talked about what do you do when you're not feeling inspired or creative on social media anymore? We talked about the nitty gritty of should you allow your product to be offered 24-7, 365, or should you close it and have a wait list and only make it available certain times of the year? We talked talked about planning and organizing content, overcoming camera shyness, hiring help, going to therapy. We talked about the biggest mistakes that I've made, the biggest mistakes that I see other people making, and we talked about what I would do differently if I was starting from zero followers today. Today's episode was absolutely packed full of value. Thank you so much to everyone who became an interviewer and interviewed me on today's episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, please let me know by either leaving a review of this podcast, downloading the podcast, or sending me a direct message on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. I think this might become a regular thing on the show. If you guys enjoy today's episode, we might do this again in the future. Let's get into you interviewing me. Hey Brock, thanks so much for opening up this forum for us all to ask you questions. I guess my question is, what advice would you give to someone who went really hard with social media like the first two to three years of their business and now is finding it really hard to make content and really hard to get excited about social media again. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Such a great question, and I'm sure something that so many people have struggled with or at least thought about at some point in their entrepreneurship content creation journey. I know it's something that even I myself have thought about before is like, how do I keep creating when I'm not feeling as inspired or as excited? And as recently ago as the fall of 2023, there was a period there for at least a few weeks, if not like a month or so, where I wasn't feeling very inspired. I wasn't feeling very motivated. I felt like my content wasn't performing that well. And a big reason for that, not to get too deep into my own personal circumstances, but I felt like I was doing too much creating that was copying. Um, of course, I never steal anyone else's content, but I was getting too much of my inspiration from other content creators and people who I was like, oh, this guy's blowing up, so I'm gonna try the style of video that he's doing. Or hey, this video is working really well for her, so I'm gonna try making my own version of that style of video. And these things, they just weren't necessarily me. Uh, they weren't super authentic. They felt kind of forced, if you will. Um, and so I think for that reason, my audience didn't enjoy consuming them as much, and I didn't enjoy creating them as much. So the first thing that you should know is it happens to all of us, and 
brand. No one should expect to love and be excited and be inspired by content creation 100% of the time. And the second thing you should know is that a big cause of feeling uninspired or not creative or just bored with your content creation is because you do so much consuming, and we all do, you do so much consuming and you start to create content that is a reflection, not of yourself, but instead is a reflection of the people you follow and the people whose videos you're seeing. So try your best to not scroll, or if you are going to scroll, just try your best to not uh, recreate and replicate every single video that you see. The third thing I would say is to remember and to focus on your why. Most likely when you got started with this whole Instagram growth thing or this social media growth thing, uh, there was a reason why, a greater purpose rather than just wanting to be famous or wanting to grow some followers and and go viral, most likely there was a reason. Maybe it was to provide for your family or to create financial freedom, or maybe it was to have a large impact and help serve people around the world. No matter what your why is, focus on that thing rather than all of the other things that we can get caught up in, like the numbers and uh, the outcome or the results. And along those same lines, the fourth thing that I would say is focus on the community. So more than just the why, focus on the actual members of your community who are commenting, who are engaging, who have sent you direct messages in the past. And maybe those people have been very engaged in the past, but in the current present moment, they're not as engaged. And that's part of the reason you're not feeling as inspired because your, your core group of loyal super fans, they're not there or they're seemingly not there anymore. So maybe you're going to go out of your way, spend some extra time reaching out to them, finding their pages, sending them direct messages, just kind of reaching out and checking in and remembering that this lonely profession of content creation where you're sitting alone in a room and posting alone in a room, it can actually be a really rewarding and friendly community-driven uh, environment if you make it so, if you remember to focus on the community and the actual social part of social media. Another thing I wanna say is make sure that you're finding joy and inspiration outside of just your content creation. Oftentimes I find that how I'm viewing my content creation, how inspired I'm feeling, is a direct reflection of how inspired I'm feeling outside of my content creation. So do some things outside of content creation that can make you feel creative or excited. Try out a new food, try out a new restaurant, plan a trip, uh, watch a new movie, play a new video game, try out a new hobby or skill or artistic craft, whatever it may be. Just try out some new things to get those uh, creative juices flowing again and to have some fun. And speaking of have some fun, that's the final thing I will say is experiment and have fun with your content. Maybe try a totally new style of video that you've never tried before. Try a new kind of post that you've never thought of doing before. Try showing a side of yourself or talking about an angle of your niche that you've never talked about before and that can often oftentimes be very fun. I know for myself, the majority of my content that you see on Instagram, at least the majority of the direct-to-camera content is filmed right where I'm sitting right now at my desk with my camera, with my lights, all of that stuff in my office. But sometimes if I'm feeling bored or not creative, I'll just step out of my office and I'll take my phone and my tripod with me and I'll go record some content in my bedroom or um, out in our backyard or whatever. And that way, just changing my environment uh, kind of literally gives me a new perspective on content creation, but it also helps bring the fun back. And some other ways that I'll bring the fun and uh, the creativity, the energy back to my content creation is I'll play some music or I will uh, watch like uh, uh, some of my like highlight reels, some of my best content from the past, things that just kind of pump me up and make me feel good, make me feel energetic. Um, and that 
that usually helps me get out of the funk that I'm in. But I also understand that, hey, from time to time, I'm going to be in a funk and the harder I fight against it, that can also be a negative experience. So allowing myself to just kind of accept the funk um, is also part of the journey. What are some of the biggest mistakes or icks that you see on Instagram keeping users from achieving growth? Another great question, and I love talking about the mistakes because there are plenty of them on Instagram. I'm not going to share my icks just because when I think of ick, I think of like the personal things that kind of bug me, and those aren't necessarily very helpful for you because there are some things that might bug me or might annoy me or might be considered an ick in my brain uh, that actually work and actually help you grow. So I'm not going to worry about the icks. I'm just going to tell you uh, the general most common mistakes that I see people making, specifically that are preventing them from growing their following on Instagram. The first one, the biggest one, absolutely not even close, is inconsistency. Just not posting at a maintained consistent frequency. It's a huge bane of everyone's existence on Instagram. Not that you necessarily have to stick to a perfect consistency. Like if your goal is to post once a day uh, and you miss a day, that's not going to kill you. But what most people do is they post consistently for like a month or two and they don't see results or life gets in the way or something comes up and they miss a few weeks and then they come back for a few weeks. And really growth takes time and it takes a lot of time staying consistent in order to see results. And so I think just general inconsistency is a huge one. And then even a step further than inconsistent posting, having an inconsistent strategy is another big one. And I think this one is caused by FOMO. This one is caused by shiny object syndrome. No matter what you use to describe it, um, basically the idea that there are people who are just chasing trends and chasing fads and they hear about this ideas, they're going to do this thing for their business and they hear about this idea and they're constantly playing catch up and you're never going to have success if you're always chasing fads and chasing trends and uh, playing catch up because quite literally that means that you are behind and it's hard to have success and be a leader if you're always behind. The second super, super common mistake that I see on Instagram, this one's uh, uh, the plague that a lot of people don't know that they are currently sick with and that is lack of niche or even more specifically and more commonly a non-niched down niche or something that they think is a niche and it's not really specific enough. Lack of specificity, you could say. Most people are too vague, they're too wishy-washy, they're too vanilla because of this fear that they don't want to alienate anyone. They feel like if I really niche down and I'm only trying to speak to this one specific audience or about this one specific topic, well then I'm excluding all these other possible people who could uh, be a customer of mine. And really it's a scarcity mindset that prevents people from niching down. It's also oftentimes a feeling of, well, Brock, what about my interests and passions and hobbies? Interests and passions and hobbies are great to have. And there are ways that you can integrate your wide variety of interests and passions and hobbies into your Instagram while still focusing on a niche. However, it's been proven time and time again that if you want to grow, if you want to grow fast, then you should niche down rather than posting about all of those interests, passions, and hobbies. Have them, snowboard all you want, play pickleball every day, paint every single evening, but just make sure that those things aren't on your Instagram unless they can clearly relate to your niche. The third biggest mistake that I see people making is focusing on results rather than the process. So they're focused on how many likes they're getting, how many views they're getting, how many comments they're getting, how many followers they have, or 
they're focusing on how many engagements, likes, follows, views, comments that other people are getting. Whether you're focusing on your own results or someone else's results, you're not gonna have success by doing that. You're going to be constantly going up and down and riding the wave, feeling creative and inspired and then feeling burnt out and overwhelmed because you are basing your motivation, you're basing your consistency, you're basing pretty much everything on external factors that you cannot control. So instead, you should focus on the process. You should focus on the things you can control. You should look at your statistics and your insights, but only to inform you about what needs to be changed in the process. So for example, if you think you created a great video, but the viewers quickly drop off after the first three seconds, then you know that your hook wasn't good enough. So you're able to use the results to inform the process, and in the future, you could improve your hook in your process, thus making a better end result. But the focus needs to be on improving the process, working on the process, rather than overanalyzing and putting your own worth and value into the results. And then the fourth biggest mistake that I see people making is just expecting growth and expecting results too soon. I think that a lot of people have been sold a false narrative uh, on Instagram and on social media that you can go viral overnight and blow up and have overnight success. And while that is true to an extent, there are people who blew up overnight. There are people who the first video they ever post gets 70 million views and suddenly they have hundreds of thousands of followers. However, that's not true for 99.9% .9 of us, myself included. It took well over a decade of content creation before I even started to blow up and have that success. I've been creating content for about 15 to 20 years and I'm only 26, almost 27 years old. So my point is it takes time. Results will come definitely, but very rarely will results come immediately. So stay consistent, going back to the first big mistake, stay consistent and eventually you will have success. Hey Brock, um, so my question is, as a new business owner who's also an introvert and an overthinker, how do you overcome talking directly to the camera or even going live for the first time? First of all, I think it's important that we use the right words in describing our situations and no shade or disrespect at all meant towards this creator, but I hear a lot of people talking about how introversion is a reason that they aren't consistent on social media. And personally, I disagree with that because introversion and extroversion don't necessarily deal with content creation. They more deal with your energy sources and how your energy changes based off of your social interactions. So for example, I'm an extrovert. So when I'm around a group of people, whether it's a small group or a big group, when I'm talking and I'm with a bunch of people, it builds me up. It gives me energy. I can walk away from a dinner with friends, a dinner party, and I feel energized. My wife, on the other hand, is an introvert. So that means that doing those sorts of things, socializing, even just with me for long periods of time, talking and hanging out can be somewhat draining. And so when I think of content creation, it's almost always a solo endeavor. Very rarely is there anyone else in the room with you when you are doing content creation. And specifically, this question mentions doing direct-to-camera videos, which is usually just you talking to the camera. So I don't think it's necessarily introversion or extroversion that is to blame or is responsible here. I think really what it boils down to is lack of camera confidence, also defined as camera shyness, which is super common. And most people are born to some degree with some amount of camera shyness. There are those rare people who love being the centers of attention and they love having all the eyeballs on them, 
But most people, even some of those people who love having eyeballs on them, have some degree of camera shyness because ultimately it's a new medium. It's a new tool. It's something that a lot of people, especially when they're getting started, have no practice or no experience with. So if you're someone who deals with camera shyness or you're someone who struggles with having confidence speaking directly to camera, I have a few tips and thoughts that I can share. Number one, find a low stakes area, a low stakes social media, a low stakes environment where you can practice. Uh, a good idea for this is maybe like Snapchat or a private TikTok account. Create an account on one of those two apps and then just start recording yourself every single day. Maybe set a goal to record yourself for 10 minutes every single morning or set a goal to create one finished product, one video per day for 30 days. That will give you the opportunity to practice. That will give you the opportunity to feel what it feels like to be on camera and to start recording yourself. It will give you the opportunity to learn what your voice sounds. That's a really common thing that I hear a lot of people hate. They hate the sound of their own voice. I can honestly say, this might sound very egotistical to say, I don't hate the sound of my own voice. I don't cringe at it at all. But also, I've been podcasting for like seven years now. I've been creating content for, like I said earlier, you know, 15 years. So I have a lot of experience uh, recording and hearing my own voice. And so eventually, you just kind of get numb to it. You kind of uh, get over the fact that your voice is going to sound a little bit different uh, in your own head versus how it sounds on a recording. So my biggest point with this tip is just find a low stakes, even a private environment where you can practice because it is a skill. Camera confidence and, and being enthusiastic and being a good presenter, having good charisma on camera is something that takes practice. So find a low stakes environment to start practicing. The second thing I'm going to say, and this is one that no one wants to hear, and it's one that absolutely needs to be talked about, and that is therapy. I have done years and years and years of therapy in my life. It has absolutely changed my life. The only reason, I shouldn't say the only reason, but one of the biggest reasons why I'm here today and why you're listening to the sound of my voice is because I had a great therapist when I was like 20 years old. She really changed my life. And I know therapy isn't necessarily accessible to everyone. That's a much more widespread, bigger topic that we don't necessarily need to go into today. But if you're someone who has the ability to go to therapy or to meet with a counselor or to meet with um, a group in your area, area even, uh, it's a great start just to be able to work through some of these internal things that are holding you back. And then the third thing I will say is make sure you're in the right headspace. Maybe it's having a cup of coffee or maybe it's not having a cup of coffee for you. Maybe it's listening to some hype music that you love that really gets you in the right headspace. Maybe it's putting on your best outfit or doing your makeup or your hair or having great lighting. Whatever it is, there are definitely times, no matter who you are, I don't care if you're Beyonce or if you're some random Joe Schmo, there are times where we feel more confident, more sure of ourselves, and times where we feel more anxious, more nervous, and less sure of ourselves. So before you get into content creation mode, do everything in your power to feel your absolute best. Have your favorite meal, read some affirmations, listen to some great music, dance around a little bit, get outside of yourself, outside of your body for a minute and just be present. Maybe even do some meditation to make sure that you're in the right headspace, no pun intended, before you actually start recording. What is your biggest tip for the entrepreneur who's in their first year and a half of business but wants to make this their full-time job? If you're someone who wants to make content creation and entrepreneurship your full-time job, well, then I think really what that means is it needs to provide a full-time income. It's not necessarily that you are asking, how do you work 40 hours a week? You just work 40 hours. But how do you actually turn this 
side hustle into the full main hustle? How do you turn entrepreneurship or content creation into your full-time job? Well, of course, I have to answer somewhat vaguely here because every uh, niche is a little bit different. Every product or offer or, or specific circumstances always vary, of course. But really, if a full-time income is what you're after, then you really have two options when you're first getting started. You can either charge a high ticket, which means something that costs a lot of money, and get a low volume. So maybe you're going to charge uh, $1,000 for a private mastermind, and then your goal is to have 18 people attend said mastermind, aka $18,000. Or you can do the opposite, the inverse of that, which is low ticket, something that's maybe 5 to $10, but then you would have to do a high volume to reach that same number of income, right? I mean, that's just basic math. Marketing Harry, who was on episode three of Social Media Moneymakers, had a really great insight about this, and it was that when he first got started on Instagram, he didn't start with a low-ticket offer, which is where most people think they should start. The thought is, I have some imposter syndrome, I don't have a lot of followers yet, no one really trusts me yet, so I'm going to sell something that's free or is 5 or 10 or $15 at most. I don't want to charge that much because I really just want to get a base first. That's the thought that a lot of people have, and I totally understand that. But Marketing Harry was essentially saying that when he first got started, when he still only had about 800 followers, he charged multiple four figures for a total package, completely done for you, uh, marketing, brainstorm, social media management package for a client. And I thought that was really fascinating because then instead of having to sell thousands of $10 products, he could sell one single product that then cost multiple thousands of dollars. For him, that also made it easier because then he didn't have to worry about this volume, which oftentimes when you're first getting started, you don't have a volume, right? And by volume, I mean like a large audience or a large group of followers or a large email list. Um, and so instead, he could focus on just converting one sale. All he had to do was convert one person into a customer, and then he was able to make the same amount of money as if he had charged thousands of people a small amount of money. So when you're first getting started, if you want this to become your full-time job, that's something to consider, right? You know, instead of pricing things very low, instead, what if you considered starting out with something that was more high ticket, like one-on-one -on -one coaching or a complete done-for-you package? Things like that, oftentimes you can charge more for, and yes, it is a little bit more time, energy, and effort on your end to create, that's why people are charging more, but also then you don't have to sell as much. If you're in a field, if you're in a space where you can't necessarily charge thousands of dollars for something and you're kind of stuck below a certain price threshold, well then you're going to have to increase the volume. So you're going to have to get a lot more eyeballs and attention on your content. You're going to have to, of course, really grow that following, which is a whole nother topic and I'm sure we'll talk about this later today. But, you know, growing your following equals more eyeballs and then hopefully you're converting at least some percentage of those eyeballs into customers and it's at a high enough volume that it can equate to the high ticket but low volume offer. Hey Brock, my question is when I am trying to create reels or content, I feel like I always get so overwhelmed thinking about having to have a cover photo, captions, hashtag the hook and everything else. How do you organize yourself in each step so that you can stay organized and batch tons of content? This is something that I've definitely thought about a lot over the last few years and something that I've really worked a lot on. I've worked quite hard on building these systems for myself. And the biggest thing that I can say before we get into my exact structure for how I organize my content creation is that you need to break it into different steps, duh, but break it into different steps based off of your capacity or your headspace at that time. Let me tell you a brief example of what I mean. 
like I said earlier, we all have that time of day. We all have that, those weeks or those months, whatever, where we're just feeling more confident, right? We're looking better. We're feeling better. We had a good breakfast. We, you know, we're in that headspace where we're feeling more confident. When you are in that space and time, don't let it go to waste by spending that time writing copy, coming up with scripts, editing videos, making captions. Instead, use that time to do what you can only really do during that time, which is record yourself. If you have a time where you feel confident enough to go on camera, then don't let that time go to waste. No matter who you are, like I said earlier, there are times where we feel more or less confident. So when you're feeling more confident, make sure you use that to its full potential by recording. Don't waste your time feeling confident, having your hair and makeup done, wearing a good outfit on editing a video. That can be done at 11 o'clock at night when you're laying in bed in your pajamas. But with that being said, let me break down my exact structure or flow for organizing my content creation. First and foremost, I start with scripting my content, coming up with what the posts are going to be about. And really that's my main focus. I ask myself the question, what is the point of this post? Is the point that I'm trying to drive people to a new freemium that my business is offering? Is the idea that I'm trying to get more people to listen to the podcast? Is the point of this post that hashtags are less effective than they used to be? I basically start with an idea of what's the point of this post. Then from there, I will script out a hook. The hook, in my opinion, is the most important part of any short form video. So I spend some time, I probably spend more time on the hook than anything else, coming up with a well-crafted hook that's going to grab people's attention. Usually for me, I'm either going to focus on the pain point that I'm gonna be talking about in that video. So for example, if I'm talking about how hashtags are less effective than they used to be, the hook might be something like, are you getting zero reach from your hashtags? Right, I'm focusing on the pain point. Do you feel like your hashtags suck? I'm focusing on the pain point of hashtags. Or I might focus on the dream outcome. Do you wish you could go viral just because of your hashtags? Do you wish you could get more engagement simply from using better hashtags? So I'm focusing on the dream outcome. That usually works for me, and I script it out. I come up with a few different ideas. This is where I might even use ChatGPT or some other AI to kind of help me come up with a more effective and engaging hook. This might be even where I look at some other people's content to get ideas and inspiration for how I could word this hook. And then I just kind of come up with an outline, like a bullet point of what I want the reel to cover. So again, the hook itself is scripted and the rest of the reel, the rest of the video is just kind of outlined. It's bullet pointed. And I like to keep in mind the mini skirt rule here, which is basically your content should be long enough to cover what you need to cover, but short enough that it still grabs and holds attention. So I try not to blabber on. I try not to uh, repeat myself, especially with short form content such as reels and TikToks and YouTube shorts. So I try to keep it as brief as I can while still covering the important things I need to cover. That's all in the planning phase. Then when I'm feeling good, confident, I got a nice sweater on, whatever, I got my lighting set up, I will actually sit down and record and I will record, record, record as much as I can. I'm not editing. I'm not coming up with captions. I'm not coming up with hashtags, none of that. I'm just recording as much as I can. I might even bring outfit changes if I have multiple videos planned for that day so that I don't even have to get up from my seat. I can just change my shirt, boom, it looks like a new fresh piece of content on a new day and I'm just going to record, record, record and I'm using the hook that I've scripted, I'm using the outline that I have bullet pointed and then I'm coming up with the call to action on the fly. Usually as I'm recording the video, I kind of gather a sense of how are people most likely to engage with this? Are they most likely to like it? Are they 
they're most likely to save it or to share it. And then basically I just end the video by telling them to do that thing. Then from there, what I personally do is I take all of those raw unedited videos and I give them to my editor. I hired an editor about a year and a half ago. Her name is Hannah. She edits all of my short form videos for me so that I don't have to do that myself. Because even though it's something I enjoy doing, and even though it's something I'm pretty good at doing, video editing, it's something that I'm not very fast at. And I know it's something that other people could do for me better than I could do for myself. So I can then spend that time in other areas of my business or life. Of course, if you don't have an editor, if you're not in a position where you can hire someone at this time, then you would have to edit your videos yourself. But the same principle applies. You should edit your videos in a time and a space where you're not also in a creative mode and you're like scripting videos. You should edit your videos in a time and space where you're not feeling super confident, thus it's not a time to record videos. Edit your videos late at night, early in the morning, in the random hours, on the days where you don't feel like you look your best. Those are the days where you edit your videos. How do you push yourself out of your comfort zone when it comes to social media or life in general, starting something new? To this, I would say, number one, we could insert that funny meme of Shia LaBeouf saying, just do it, because that's true. Like, you just do it. You push yourself outside of your comfort zone. Don't worry, I got some more tips for you. But I feel like a lot of the questions I got today, and by the way, there's a lot of questions that I didn't respond to today. So even if your question didn't get featured on the podcast, thank you. And it might be included in a future podcast. But a lot of the questions were people looking for validation or they were looking for me to give them permission to do something that you already know is right. It's something that you already know you should do, but for whatever reason, you don't quite have that confidence. So you're looking for other people to validate or to give you permission or the other side to tell you not to do it or to tell you that you shouldn't do it or it's a bad idea, but really just do it. Just do it. Post that video, create that business, launch that product, launch the podcast, whatever it may be, just do it. You can figure it out later. You can change and adjust later, uh, but you have to just get started in the first place. The second thing I would say is something that my wife has taught me, uh, which is that oftentimes when we're worried about getting started or doing the thing or pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone, we're worried because we're thinking of all of the, what if this goes wrong? What if this goes bad? We're thinking of all of the potential negative outcomes. When by definition, there are exactly as many potential better outcomes than you could even imagine. Things that could go right. What if this went right? What if this went better than expected? What if this ended up better than I ever could have dreamed or hoped for? Those things are just as real and as valid as anything else on the negative end of the spectrum that you can imagine. So just reminding yourself of that can sometimes help you kind of ease the anxiety of, oh my gosh, there's these 10 negative options. Well, guess what? There's also 10 positive things probably that could happen too. The third thing I will say, and this I saw on a TikTok yesterday and it knocked me off my socks. I was literally sitting next to my wife watching TikTok and I said, wow. And I showed her this video. And in the video, there was a quote that said, forget about making the right decision and instead focus on making your decision right. And this for me, maybe you're listening right now and you're like, that's not that cool or interesting, Brock. But for me, this was like mind blowing because yeah, we're always so preoccupied with what's the right decision, what's the right option, let me weigh my pros and cons and make the educated decision. And while there is merit in that and there is merit in uh, apprehension and, and planning and forethought, those things are definitely valuable in many circumstances, there's also a lot of value in I'm going to take this action, whether it is right or wrong, and then I'm going to do everything in my power to make it right. The fourth thing I will say, I already talked about this one, I'm not going to harp on it again, but therapy. 
The fifth thing I would say that can help you push yourself outside of your comfort zone is to get someone who can hold you accountable and even better, get someone who can hold you accountable who is already pushing themselves or you already know this person, this is one of your friends, and they're always pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone. They're always doing things that would make you uncomfortable or queasy or uneasy. Find someone like that to hold you accountable because oftentimes we're going to be much more consistent. We're going to do things for someone else more than we would ourselves. And then the sixth and final thing that I will say is kind of related to number five, but it is do things outside of social media or outside of your business that push you outside of your comfort zone. I think the kind of classic analogy or the picture I have here is like when like corporate business retreats do like a rope walk and it's supposed to like build trust in your team and push you outside of your comfort zone. And as cheesy as that may sound, doing things like that actually work. Like doing a, a bungee jump or learning to snowboard or going skydiving or swimming with sharks, things that push you outside of your comfort zone outside of business and social media can give you this confidence that, hey, I can push myself outside of my comfort zone and surprise myself, and things actually don't always turn out as bad as I think they're going to. Things can actually be okay when I'm doing something that is uncomfortable. And you can learn that outside of business and social media and then apply it to business and social media. Do you think that there's such a thing as niching down too much? Like I feel like I, all the advice was to like really, really get super specific about my niche. And now I feel like I'm too specific. And sometimes I'm just like talking to too small a group, um, with a product and a, and a service that could help way more than that one tiny little specific group. So again, I know we already talked a little bit about niche. What I will say is for you, Tracy, no, I do not think that you have niched down too far. I think that 99.9% .9 of the time, uh, we can always niche down further. Even myself personally, I know that if I niched down further, I could actually either grow faster or charge more. So I would say that no, the vast majority of people listening need to niche down further and they have not niched down enough. I can really only think of one person in my entire experience on social media, my entire time being an Instagram growth coach, where I found someone who I was like, ooh, you might have niched down too far. And it wasn't even necessarily that this person niched down too far, but just that they were a comedian with literally only one joke. And every single one of their posts was this same joke just told in a different way. And I'm not kidding right now. Like it's literally the exact same joke. That's the only person who I can think of who is maybe too specific with their content. Like it's literally just one joke over and over again. But everyone else, I would recommend, yes, niche down further, get even more clear with who you are talking to, that person's demographics, or what you are going to be posting about for them. Hi, Brock. So my question is, how do you stay consistent with posting on um, your feed and stories? And I'd really love to know any tips you have on keeping consistent so that you constantly sharing content. Thanks very much. Ah, yes, the age-old question of consistency. One of the things that I always think about with consistency uh, was such a compliment that I received from Marketing Harry one time where he was making a post about other Instagram experts and what he thought each of their superpowers was. And for me, he said it was hyper-consistency. And I would say that's probably true of myself. I've now been consistent with posting at least one post per day on Instagram for over the last 1,000 days. Um, and the majority of those days were actually more like two or three posts on Instagram. That's in addition to the podcast, the YouTube, 
YouTube, the TikTok, all those other things, all those uh, great other channels as well. But let's talk about consistency and let me share some tips with you around consistency. First and foremost, when it comes to consistency, we all have different definitions of what that means. And I think we should have different definitions of what that means. And instead of you right now, because you're probably thinking this, how much should I post? Brock just said he posts once a day and actually most days two or three times a day. So is that how much I should post? Because I heard another Instagram expert say that I should only post every other day. And I heard this other coach of mine say that I need to post only one time a day. So how much should I post? And my answer to that question is that it's not necessarily a one size fits all number. Instead, you should focus on what you can sustain. So if you're someone who can sustain based off all the different factors and variables in your life, based off the season that you are in, if you're someone who can sustain one post a day, great. That's the number that you're going to stick to for consistency. If you're someone who realistically cannot sustain a daily post and you can only sustain three posts a week, that's all you can sustain for now. And so forcing yourself to create one post a day when realistically you can only sustain three a week, that's what's going to lead to burnout and that's what's going to lead to months of inconsistency rather than just a few days of missed posts. So start with the number that you can sustain and I will say, and then challenge yourself to do just a little bit more, right? Because growth in life and in social media comes when we push ourselves a little bit outside of our comfort zone. Going back to that previous question where we were talking about comfort zone, when you push yourself a little bit further than where you think you can just comfortably maintain and sustain, that's where you'll see the real results. So that's the first thing. The second thing I will say is schedule and make a plan. Literally carve out time in your schedule to record content, to edit content, or change your goals. Really, when I hear people saying, oh, I don't have enough time, really what that's telling me is that my goals aren't that much of a priority to me, or my goals or too big, or I don't believe in my goals. And so either change your goals or change your schedule to reflect those goals and those priorities. The third thing that I would say, and I understand that this is not possible for everyone, but you would be surprised this might be more possible for you than you even realize, and that's hiring help. There are plenty of people all around the world in countries from areas that are very different economically speaking than the U.S. And also I understand not everyone listening right now is from the U.S., but I know that the majority of my listeners are from the U.S. So you would be surprised how people in other countries might really value getting paid paid $10 to edit a reel. While for you, you might be like, well, that's below minimum wage in the US. 10 US dollars in their country might be far above minimum wage and might be a great supplemental income for them to, let's say, provide for their family. Hiring help is such a game changer. I have now hired help in pretty much every area of my Instagram. I have someone who helps me write scripts. I have someone who helps me edit my reels. I have someone who helps me schedule my content. Pretty much every single area of my Instagram. I have someone who helps me design my content, someone who helps me manage my direct messages and my comments. If there are any bottlenecks in your process, something that drains you or takes a lot of time or something that you're just not great at, outsource it and hire help. You could even start by doing this for just like a month as a test. You don't have to hire someone and guarantee that you're going to provide them an income until they're 65 years old and then give them healthcare and benefits and retirement. You could hire someone for the next 30 days as a test to create your carousels or to edit your reels. And it's a great way to uh, free up a lot more of your time so that you can stay more consistent. Number four, use all of the tools and softwares out there available. I know that oftentimes we can kind of feel overwhelmed by all of the new AI tools that are coming out every single week, but there are definitely tools that can help you stay more consistent, such as a scheduling app, such as an AI video editing tool, such as mobile editing versus desktop editing. Like there are just tools and apps and softwares that can make your life 
life easier uh, than in the past. And so bottom line there is just find the tools, softwares, and apps that work for you and that can help you speed up the process. And again, if there's an area of your process that's taking too long, look around the internet and see if there's an option of trying to do that thing faster. And then number five, something I talked about already today is get someone who can help hold you accountable. But again, if we say in our own mind and we uh, only are accountable to ourselves that we're gonna post once a day, it's very easy to cheat ourselves. It's very easy to lie to ourselves. It's very easy to make up excuses for ourselves. But when you have someone else who you're accountable to, it's different. Sometimes I like to wake up really early and I do what's called split boarding up the mountain and then I snowboard down. And I can't tell you how many times I've scheduled to do that alone and then 5 a.m. comes and I'm like, nah, I'm gonna sleep in. But every time I've scheduled to do that with a friend or my wife and I have agreed to each other that we're gonna do that, I get up and I get my butt on that mountain even when it's 10 degrees and I'm freezing and it's dark out. My point is having someone else to hold you accountable is a game changer. What do you think is a better digital product strategy? To have set launch and end dates for people to enter your program and then have a wait list for the program or to have like an evergreen digital product that people can come and go as they please? Such a good question. Oh boy, I love this question. I would say first and foremost, as everything in marketing, it depends. It depends on your offer, your audience, a lot of different factors. But what I will say is this, usually I'm more of a fan of the open and close method where you have a wait list, you're collecting emails year round, but you're only open, you're only available for purchase for a week or for a month or for a single day because that creates scarcity, it creates FOMO, and it creates urgency, which can be a really powerful driver of sales. It's really powerful when people are in a frenzy and they feel like, wow, I really only have a week to buy this product. And not only do they feel that way, that's literally the truth. And you can tell them that. This is available for only one week a year, or this is available only for a limited time or for the next 30 days or the next 24 hours. That can be a really, really powerful tool. And the rest of the year, when someone does want to buy, they're not able to, which again, creates this kind of feeling of like, ooh, I, I want this thing. It's, it's, it's limited edition, if you will. But you're able to collect their emails still. You're able to get them on your list. And so the rest of the year, when that product is not open and available, you can still nurture them. You can still warm them up and keep them warm so that when it's time to actually launch and sell, they're primed and ready to go. I generally find that this is more effective for things that are truly scarce or limited and or things that are more high ticket. So something like one-on-one -on -one coaching, for example, is very scarce and limited because you only have so many hours per day where you can do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And one-on-one -on -one coaching is something that you'll usually charge more for than uh, say a course or an ebook. And so that is something that might be a great uh product that you only offer for limited amounts of time rather than just having open 24 seven, 365. I have lots of experience with high ticket products like that that are open for a short and limited time. I also have lots of experience with products that are the opposite end of the spectrum. They're available 24 seven, 365. They're quote unquote evergreen. And I've found that that's more effective for products that are memberships. So something that is ongoing and updated regularly anyways, that would make sense that people can join at any time. Um, also, something that is not necessarily changing. So like an annual Instagram trend report, 
it would make sense that that's not available 24-7, 365. Maybe that's only available for a week or two at the end of every year or beginning of every year. Uh, while something like a guide to your Instagram hashtags or a guide to creating better hooks, that might be something that you make as a more evergreen product because it's not really changing from week to week or year to year. It's pretty consistent and it can be available at all times. And it's also low ticket, right? Like it's a guide, it's a PDF. So maybe you're only charging 10, 15, $20 for that. And thus you don't need a wait list. And also it's a digital product, right? So there is no scarcity element to it. It's uh, just something that can be duplicated an infinite amount of times. I will say though, even with our membership, which is open 24, seven, 365, we are constantly swapping out what sorts of bonuses or offers are added for for example, in January, we said you could get a free content calendar when you joined with the trial, but that was only available for a limited time. I think it was only available for the month of January. So even though the product as a whole, the membership is evergreen and is always open and available for enrollment, that specific bonus or that specific additional offer was what was limited. Hey Brock, it's Kaylee. I'm just curious, what is your feature wish list for Instagram? I love this question. I keep a running list of all of the things that I wish Instagram would add or fix or take away. The three things that I would say I want the most right now, and I'm probably forgetting one, um, is number one, subtitles for lives. This is very um, top of mind for me because I just went live on Instagram a few days ago and a few people commented, why no captions? Why can't I have closed captions? And I was like, I can't add closed captions. That's just not an option during Instagram Live. So Instagram, that would be a great accessibility tool. That would be a very, very useful tool for marketers. Um, I would love the ability to have subtitles or closed captions on my live videos. The second feature that I think I would love for Instagram to add is the ability to cancel a post while it is uploading. And I know that if the post fails, you have the option of trying again or canceling. And I believe they recently added an option where if you're uploading a story, you can cancel it before it uploads, but I've had plenty of times where I've tried to post a reel and it's just been stuck in that loading bar, in that posting bar up at the top for hours when I would much rather cancel it and maybe turn off my Wi-Fi or go to a new location or change up the video and try again rather than just having it sit there in the posting screen, in the loading screen for hours. So I wish I could cancel a post while it is uploading. I know they've worked on that and I know that some people do have the option to do that, but I wish we all did. And then my third thing might sound minor. It might be like a niche me problem. Um, but what I will say is when I am sending people a direct message and I'm tagging someone out else, I wish they would recommend people to kind of finish the tags. You know, when you like tag someone on your Instagram stories or even in like the comments and I do like at, let's say my wife, for example, who's at Tay Johnson. If I do like at T A Y, it'll be like, do you want to tag Tay Johnson? Because she's my wife and we follow each other and we DM all the time. So it like recommends that. And also that makes sure that I don't misspell her name or tag the wrong person. But when I'm tagging someone in the DMs, like I'm sending someone, let's say I'm someone's like, hey, who's your wife? And I'm like, at Tay Johnson. I have to type out the full name and then I just have to hit send. Like I have no confirmation there's no profile picture. There's no preview. There's nothing that recommends that it is the right person I'm tagging. So this might sound minor. Maybe no one else has this problem or issue, but I wish Instagram gave me that option. I know you've been in the marketing world for a very long time. If you had to start over today, what are five things that you would do differently? 
All right, such a great question. I'm going to come up with the five things that I would do differently. Number one, I would niche down sooner. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I've been growing on Instagram very fast for the last three years. I've been growing on Instagram consistently for the last five or six years, but I've been on Instagram for like the last 12 or 13 years. And so for the first seven years of my Instagram, I was just a college football player posting pictures of myself playing football with Drake quotes. And I was posting for my friends and family. I was a high schooler and a college person, uh, a college person, a college student. Um, and so I wish that in order to grow faster, I would have niched down sooner because even when I started taking Instagram seriously and like trying to grow, I didn't have a niche. My niche was like business and entrepreneurship and Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram and all these different things. Um, and so I didn't have a clear focus. And so because of that, I wasn't growing and my audience didn't know what to expect from me. So I wish I would have niched down sooner. The second thing is I wish I would have started growing my email list sooner. And I wish I would have created the habit of growing it more consistently. I've definitely had an email list since I was like 20 years old. So I've been building an email list for quite a while now, but in all honesty, even to this day, I've never been very consistent with it. My current excuse that I'm telling myself for not being consistent is that we have an email list for the Insta Club Hub, which is healthy and which is growing every single week. So in my mind, I don't need a separate personal email list because that essentially is my email list. But for the first seven years of my business, before I had the Insta Club Hub, which is only about two or three years old now, I wasn't really consistent with growing my email list. I definitely grew it and I definitely have thousands of people on it now, but it's never been a focus for me and I wish it would have been. The third thing is I wish I would have stayed consistent with YouTube and even gone more all in on YouTube. I've had three or four different phases where I've been more consistent with my YouTube channel. Uh, the one that is most relevant or most present on the top of my mind right now is in 2019, I started to be consistent and I was like, I'm gonna do this and I posted very consistently, I think once a week, maybe even twice a week on my YouTube channel for the first few months of 2019. And then as these things go, I got inconsistent, life got in the way, and I started to uh, give up because I wasn't blowing up. And I wish I would have just stuck with it because now over the last year and a half, I have been consistent on YouTube and we have been growing our channel on YouTube and it has been really fun and rewarding. Um, however, I realized that if I would have started this three years ago or six years ago, or just kept going with my original YouTube channel from when I was like 13, I can't even imagine how big those channels would be today. The fourth thing that I wish I would have done differently is I would have been more consistent early on, or even I should say post more frequently early on with my Instagram uh, so that I could experience and really take advantage of the growth that was possible, especially in those early days. And don't get me wrong, you can still grow, you can still have tons of success, but there were less fish in the sea in 2015, 2016. And so if I had been hyper consistent then, like I am now, I think I would have seen even more growth. And then the fifth thing that I would do differently, and this one is also specific to Instagram, is more collaborations. There's something that I do now pretty much on a weekly basis, maybe a little bit less than once a week, I'm doing a collab post on Instagram, but I wish I would have done that way more and way sooner because looking at all of my posts now that generate the most follows, like when I sort my insights based off which posts have generated the most new followers, excluding the, the mega viral ones, like the posts that just blow up and hit millions of people, the ones that get me the most new followers are not the most educational posts. They're not the funniest posts necessarily. 
They're the posts where I'm collaborating with someone else. So I wish I would have put more stock and spent more time early on in collaborating with other people in my industry and in my niche because I'm a firm believer that all ships rise. When someone else grows, it helps me grow as well. And so I think that just would have been a great opportunity uh, to leverage early on and take advantage of before it was as widespread and before Instagram was as saturated as it was. And I think that would have helped me grow even faster and even more at an even earlier stage. Again, this was an experimental episode, so let me know. I would love to hear from you either on Instagram, in the direct messages, or even if you want to leave a review of the podcast. That helps me on two levels because one, that gives me feedback, but two, that helps me with the podcast algorithm and ranking system. So I would really love if you left me a review or sent me a direct message with your thoughts of today's episode. And if nothing else, if you enjoyed today's episode and you don't want to take the time to send me a DM or leave me a review, just make sure you download the episode that you just listened to because that's a great indication for me of whether or not you enjoyed today's episode. Like I said, this was an experiment. This was a test of something new. This was a run and gun. Hey, my other interviewees who I was supposed to chat with this week suddenly became unavailable or they fell ill or whatever. And so we quickly whipped this together for you. And again, I will end by saying this. Thank you so much to everyone who sent me an audio message. Truly, there were so many that I didn't include, so many awesome uh, questions that I even planned on including, but I just realized this podcast was getting a little bit long. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if we do this sort of thing again in the future. Maybe this becomes a monthly uh, segment where every single month we do a you interview me style of podcast. But thank you so much, truly, from the bottom of my heart. It means the world to me uh, that you were an active and engaged member of my community and you took the time to help me out uh, with not much promised in return. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate everyone who left a comment, especially the people who actually got their question shouted out in today's episode. Thank you and I'll see you next time.